0: Good evening. It is good to be back uh, with you all after uh, missing last week, being out of town. I'll share some details uh, later during our prayer time as to what the Lord uh, has, has done um, while we were out of town. Some good things to report, but for now it is so good to be back with you all. It was um, My wife and I were talking today that it seems like it's been several weeks that we've missed. It was only one week, one Lord's Day that we missed. And uh it's amazing when you're away from those whom you love, how uh, that time can be multiplied. Well, tonight we're going to uh, take a break from our series in the book of First Thessalonians, and we're going to look at Psalm 30, as our brother Greg has just uh, read that. Uh, I've been thinking late, lately, just following the Thanksgiving theme from the Thanksgiving holiday, of how... How woefully short we fall in giving the Lord gratitude and and expressing gratitude and and being thankful um, to Him. And then coupling that with how we tend to be in America. We can become presumptuous. We can presume upon God's goodness in our lives, can't we? And so I thought, what better place to go than Psalm 30, where both of these themes uh, are developed in some detail. Now, there's different ways you can classify psalms. You've got psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of lament, psalms of praise, psalms that appear to be songs. And um, here it's interesting because it's it's definitely thanksgiving and praise. And also it's related to lament because the thanksgiving is born out of David being heard in the midst of his lament. And so really it's kind of a blend of all of those. Um, Sometimes throughout the Psalms, if you study the Psalms, David, when he speaks of a sickness or an illness, it's figurative. But here I think that it is actually um, literal. It seems clear that David was very sick, perhaps even to the point of death, as a result of his pride and his presumption upon God's goodness. And we're going to develop uh, that later. Um, I was thinking of illustrations uh, that could be told of this, and there was one that I came across. Um, Back in the Civil War, during a battle called uh, the Battle of the Wilderness, there was a general by the name of John Segwick who was inspecting his troops, and at one point he was on a parapet, and his, his other officers were saying, Duck down, duck down, the enemy can see you. And he boasts loudly and says, That enemy could not hit an elephant. You know, our enemy could not hit an elephant here. And about a moment later, he fell over, mortally wounded. So those were his last words. They couldn't hit an elephant at this distance was the actual remark. And so that's just one little illustration of what folly it is to presume upon, I mean, here not so much upon God, but just to be arrogant and proud what folly it is. So in this wonderful psalm here that we'll just open up in really a devotional format tonight, we'll see that David was proud, then he was afflicted with some type of a sickness. God is merciful in the healing him and touching him, and that leads to David's praise and gratitude to God. As I said, it appears to be a song. It actually says here um, that it's a song at the dedication of the house. There's two possibilities for when this could be. And one is Second Samuel chapter five, when Haram, the king of Tyre, sent messengers to David with cedar trees and carpenters and, and stonemasons, and they built a house for David. That's one possibility. More likely, I think it's the occasion when David had bought the land for the future temple. You remember at the very end of Second Samuel, um, Brother Allen opened up the Chronicles account of this, but the very last chapter of Second um, Samuel when he fell into the sin of numbering the people, putting his trust in the army rather than the Lord, and then he buys uh, that parcel of land. So more likely, that's the context of when this took place. Um, It's hard to be dogmatic. Um, Whichever the context, there's still a lot for us to learn tonight uh, from this text. Now this psalm is rich because it's full of contrast. And contrasts are good. They're easy to wrap our minds around. They're easy to understand when there's these contrasts. And so I hope that we will see these and be encouraged by these. You know, the Christian life is one that is filled with trials, filled with difficulties. And it's good for us to be encouraged um, from this psalm. So our first point, actually let's let's reread the text one more time and then we'll jump right into it. Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol and have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Now as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. O Lord, by your favor you have made my mountain to stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing, and have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness, that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent, O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Amen. So, the first point is your desire to praise God. Is it your desire to lift up, to loosen your tongue, and to praise the Lord? David had been delivered from this sickness here. And it's as though in verse 1 he says, You have lifted me up. The analogy, is, is, uh, the, the, the meaning really, is you have lifted me up, the idea of being, dr- being drawn up from a very deep well. In other words, being very, very low. And God is the one that has raised him up. Now, as I referred to earlier, David had decided to number the people during this time, perhaps to feed his royal pride, we don't know. But uh, the idea there is that he put his trust in his grand army, rather than the Lord during that season. And what did how did it end? God sent pestilence for three days. David had no choice but to pray. In verse 2, he uses covenant language. Oh, Lord, my God. He uses covenant language um, as he prays to God. And back to verse 1, he says, I will extol you. I will I will lift your name, I will praise you, I will extol you. Why? Because you heard my cry for help. You heard me in the midst of my despair. It's as though the psalmist says, though others may forget you, though others may murmur and complain and even blaspheme the holy name of God, you have heard me and I will extol you. What does he extol? He extols God's holy name, which is representative of his character, that he does not change. That is holy. His attributes. His great mercy. That was shown to David and to his people. That's as though he said, I will exalt you. For you have exalted me. You have lifted me up. And isn't that true? We could each one say, Yea, Lord, you have lifted me up out of the pit of despair. Out of the miry clay of sin. You have lifted me up. And even this analogy in verse 1 that, that has the analogy of a, um, of a very deep well that can be said of each one of you tonight who is a born-again Christian because the depth of our sin is so much more than what we want to admit, so much more than we can understand. It's like Pilgrim's Progress where the slew of the spawn, you know, and help is there to pull him out. So David had been delivered by God. And those delivered love the Deliverer. So how high has the Lord lifted you? Has the Lord lifted you tonight? Has He lifted you out of a pit? Consider that He has provided a remedy for our sin problem in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He has adopted us into the family of God, whereby we can cry, Abba, Father, and He hears us. We have union with Christ. We're being sanctified and conformed into the image of Christ. Not to mention our health, not to mention the physical healings, not to mention a whole host of other blessings that come to us. Yes, the Lord has lifted us up and He is worthy to be praised. Well, God is powerful to save and deliver. Where do we first turn when we become sick? You know, we live in this this medical age scientific age whatever you want to call it and and when we get sick we pray and when we're made better we say yes it was this antibiotic or this medication that did it and we forget God we must remember the first cause that it is God and his prerogative and his healing hand that ultimately is in control of even those things don't be like acid do you remember him 2 Chronicles 16 It says this, that in the thirty-ninth year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his disease was severe, yet even in his disease he did not seek the Lord, but physicians. He sought physicians and did not seek the Lord. Asa's sin was trusting in doctors rather than the Lord. And David began to trust in his armies, and perhaps where he had elevated himself at this late stage of his life um, here. So it's folly to presume upon God's favor and his grace. Now notice, as soon as David is afflicted or or has this illness, he sends up prayers to God. the end of verse 2, I cried to you for help and you healed me. Actually, three times. In this little section, the end of 2 and, and verse 3, it's You have. I cried to You for help, and You healed me. Oh Lord, You have brought up my soul. You have kept me alive. Acknowledgement that everything has come from Him in the healing of His body and in restoring His health. God is the best physician, of course, and we often forget to ask God first. What do you do if your watch is broken? Alan, do you go home and you call a plumber? Carpenter? No, you call a watchmaker, right? And the same thing, if our bodies are broken and we're sick, who should we go to first, but the one who designed us? Coming back from Ohio, our time there, we, our family, some of you know, had, came back with a nasty stomach flu. And before, you, know, before asked, before anything else, I gathered the family together and I said, "We're going to pray. We're going to ask God if he might be pleased to relieve the symptoms and to bring healing and then continue to pray, no matter what the uh, the outcome of that was, which happened to be a few days of uh, unpleasantness. <laughs> Being humbled by his gracious hand. So David gives appropriate praise and adoration to God. And then notice in verse 4 and 5, this is just... It's almost as though his solo is, is stanzas 1 to 3, and then in verse 4 and 5, he's calling the choir. And listen to what he says Sing praise to the Lord, you, his godly ones, give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Those are glorious verses. I remember memorizing those two verses many years ago as a young Christian comforting verses particularly when we're going through difficulty but here for David he essentially it's as though he says join me in my song assist me to express my gratitude to the Holy One on high and David just doesn't ask anyone he doesn't ask the reprobates he doesn't ask those from other nations to join in who does he ask to sing? his godly ones his saints those who have been bought by the blood of the Lamb the godly ones You see, no matter how pretty the voice of the unregenerate has, how beautiful that voice is, if it's not desiring to to, to glorify God and has been saved by God, it's for naught. He calls His children, His godly ones, to lift up their voices and to give thanks for what? What are they called to give thanks for? His holy name. Jehovah. His holy name. The one who does not change. And holiness is an attribute which inspires some of the deepest awe, which provokes some of the deepest re- uh, reflection on who God is. And what does it do? It promotes worship. It will lead us to the act of worship. Think of the cry of the seraph, Isaiah chapter 6, Revelation 4, You know where the, the, the seraphs are singing with that beautiful anthem, holy, 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 is the Lord God of hosts. What an awesome scene. Do a study on Isaiah 6. And as it were, try to catapult yourself into that scene. You will be humbled. It will lead you to a reverential awe of who God is and how holy He is. Psalm 148, we won't turn there, but there David invokes the whole creation to to be engaged in in praising the Lord. And so let us tonight, as his blood-bought children join in the choir, not grudgingly, but cheerfully, loosening our tongues that we might praise him and give him the adoration that is due his holy name. Now he mentions here, for his anger is but for a moment. Now I think this points to the substantial chastisements that come from God. And in David's situation here, this would be 2 Samuel 24. Remember when God gives three options for what the judgment will be, the punishment, chastisement, um, for this sin, and He chooses the three days of pestilence. And how many people died during those three days? 70,000. 70,000. And no doubt... David was afflicted with something but alas, was restored but then it says his anger is but for a moment a moment a very short span of time even if this was three years or the forty years these are short snippets of time when considered by his favor which lasts what? a lifetime an eternity his favor lasts like that C.H. Spurgeon says, we die like withered flowers when the Lord frowns, but His sweet smile revives us as the dews refresh the fields. You see, we, 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 we are strengthened and we're encouraged under the countenance of God. And then in the end of verse 5, weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. I've used this, that last, that part of the verse with my children many times. You know, weeping, being, you know, being discouraged, maybe having endured some some uh, chastisement, some instruction, some admonishment. Yes, it's there, and, and yes, that will last the night. But a shout of joy comes in the morning. See, the nights are not forever, but this shout of joy comes in the morning. What a huge, huge contrast! Anger and then God's favor. Weeping, and then joy. And this joy chases out sorrow. You might think of it like this. The mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, mourning only lasts until morning without the U. You see, you and I encounter difficulties and trials and sufferings in this life, and these things are good. These are sent by God's wise hand to us and for our own good, And we ought not chase at these things. But the encouragement is is that the shout of joy is coming in the morning. It's coming very soon. And it will last a lifetime. Thomas Brooks, the Puritan, says, God will turn their winter into a summer day, their sighing into, into singing, their grief into gladness, their mourning into music, bitter to sweet, and their wilderness into a paradise. In fact, the Christian life is filled with these types of interchanges, sickness and health. Our family can testify to that in the last week, many of you. Weakness and strength, right? Poverty and wealth, dishonor and honor, grace and sorrows. God has designed it that it would be the best way to keep us spiritually healthy to have both of these in our lives at the same time. In other words, that it's not all health all the time that we would begin to presume, or that we're not all wealthy all the time. God sovereignly has both in our lives. Perhaps we're gaining victory in one area, and He will humble us by another area. One person has said that the best health of our soul is to have the south wind of mercy, right, the south wind of mercy and the north wind of adversity blowing together at the same time. The one keeps us humbled, the other keeps us sustained in the midst of our difficulties. But for unbelievers, those who have not trusted in Jehovah God, those who have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's anger is not for a moment with you. God's anger is forever. God's anger will last forever Anything in this life that the unbeliever goes through, no matter how difficult, will pale in comparison to an eternity spent in hell away from the presence of God. Future judgment is sure. Final judgment will occur. And for the unbeliever, it will be a terrible, terrible time. Therefore, if you sit here tonight cherishing some sin or some idol, sitting in a posture of pride and presumption that God will never move me, beware. Beware. Perhaps some suppressing the truth. Don't do this. The time to discover His favor is now. The time to discover His favor, which it says lasts a lifetime, is now. His favor is for you if you will but trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today is the day of salvation. I think for some, when you engage unbelievers, they don't quite understand, what's the urgency here? Why are you such a fanatic? And one needs to go no further than our Savior as He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, as He knew the horrors that awaited Him on the cross, as He knows the horror that really will occur to every person who is not trusted in Him, as He's even sweat as it were drops of blood. So consider, what is your supreme desire? Is it to glorify God by praising Him? By worshiping Him? By worshiping His holy name? Giving Him the adoration that is due to Him alone? I pray and trust it is, rather than self. Well, having asked the first question, let's move on to the second, verses 6-9. to nine. Has prosperity in your life led to a false sense of security? Now, this is amazing here, this uh, verse 6 here. He says, Now, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will not be moved. Now, it, on the surface, well, okay, sure, his trust is in God. Of course he won't be moved. Is it? But this is really, this is the, you know, the context of the, of the psalm here. David is making a boast here, a presumption upon God's goodness. And David's prosperity made him think that he was immovable. And and we can relate to this, I think, on small, you know, on a little bit, being in the Disneyland of the world here in America. So David speaks um, of his former sin of self-confidence and pride, and and I think he links it really to his illness that he had. Now, what's the problem with this? Well, there's no problem. Why why would would many have a problem with, with what I'm teaching here? The health and wealth gospel. The Joel Olsteens who say, oh no, God wants you to just have everything now. Right? There's a, it, it just contradicts this. The God that never wants you sick. That there's, you know, it's silly. But yet here David says, in my prosperity I will not be moved. And then he's afflicted. Well, these verses fit within this time frame, as I said, 2 Samuel 24. I wish we had time to read the chapter. I'll just commend that to you um, to read for later. But he'd fall into that trap of trusting in the numbers of his army rather than the Lord. So let me ask you something, brethren. At what point did this happen in David's life? Was there all kinds of adversity? Was there all kinds of trials? Was he running? Was Saul on his tail? No, this is at a time of peace, a time of ease, as it were. Um, All his foes are quiet. His rebellious son is dead and buried, Absalom. And this was the time of peril for David. Spurgeon said, many ships sink in calm waters when there is no storm. And so the application, I hope, is clear. We need to beware when things are going, everything is going well, and we might have some idle time, we need to beware. That's how David got in trouble with Bathsheba, right? He should have been out fighting, but yet he had this idle time, and he looks, and he sees, and he lays his eyes on, and he covets, and he takes. And so, let us beware when things are going well not to fall into this uh, sin of presumption. In fact, what arrogance for David uh, to think that he could never be moved. In fact, in Psalm uh, 10, it actually says the, that the wicked, it is the wicked who say, I will never be moved. Psalm 10 and verse 6. God is the only one that is immutable. You see, to say that you will never be moved is to, to say that you are immutable, which is an attribute that belongs to God alone. He never changes. And I personally find that particular attribute very comforting. God does not change his mind. He is holy and sovereign in purpose. He holds all things together by the word of his power. He is in control of all things and he does not change. But brothers and sisters, everything in this world is always changing, isn't it? Politics, the weather, your, what you crave for lunch later, dinner later, for a snack or whatever, things are always changing. God has made this world Mutable and movable, and it's always changing. But God does not change. Even for us in our daily walks, in our Christian walks, it's as though we're on a teeter-totter. One day we're kind of dragging in the dust, you know, we're kind of humbled from whatever that's going on. The next day we're lifted up rather high above everyone else, thinking that we're somebody who we're really not. The teeter-totter effect of the walk the Christian life I love the story of the, uh, the sinking of the Titanic. Not so much the sinking, but the story of Mrs. Hart, who was a Christian and was God-fearing. And with her and her daughter was actually transferred to that boat. They were actually supposed to be on another boat. And then she overheard the shipbuilder's boast. And what was the boast? The ship's unsinkable. And she began to pray right away that this flies right into the face of God. And she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed, and so when disaster struck, she was ready, and her and her seven-year-old were safely uh, rescued off the boat. So, prosperity had turned David's heart so that it became presumptuous and self-confident. And I'm sure that many of you can testify to times like this in your life, <clears throat> times just look back in the last several months. Perhaps there's a time where you've become self-confident perhaps presumptuous, that that God's going to do something in particular, we need to remember that we can't presume upon Him. We need to beware of pride. You know, when we have the continuous health, and you haven't been sick in years, and you keep getting promotions at work, and you haven't had any severe trials, and, you know, these types of people, even the strongest in faith can lead to presumption. Praise God. For afflictions and trials that he sovereignly brings to humble us and to make us more and more dependent upon him. So God sovereignly brought these afflictions to rouse um, David. It was during these afflictions that David saw the folly of trusting in his own prosperity. And he was utterly dependent upon God for who he really is. Now, look into in verse 7 here where it says, You have hid. Or you hid your face, and I was dismayed. Now, this bears uh, commenting on, I think, a little bit. that The Puritans would call this a spiritual desertion, a time when you pray and sent, you sense as though God's not there. You know, you're, you're feeling like you're completely deserted. And that can be a type of affliction. It can be a, a type of trial. John Flavel says, Outward afflictions do break the skin, but this inward one touches our inner man, our very souls. And only a believer can be concerned with God hiding his face for a season because we're wallowing in our sin or we're content with our sin or whatever. When God turns his face for a short season, consider that if God is your portion, if God is your delight, then God hiding his face is the worst thing that can happen to the believer in this life. And how we ought to get on our knees and not get up until we sense that he is there and he hears and he is answering. You see, just as some flowers, we used to have a bank along our backyard. We still have the bank. The flowers are gone. When the sun comes up and the light and the heat of the sun, they open up during the day. And then at nighttime, what do they do? They close back up. See, the believer, is the same way. Under the light and the count, under the light and the countenance of God, we're alive and we're lively and we're productive. But when His face is turned, as it were, it's like we languish and we're missing something. So finally, in verse eight, David calls out to God. He says, "To you, O Lord, I called, and to the Lord I made supplication." Finally, he calls out to the Lord. It's as though he was panic-stricken, that God's face was hidden from him. He suddenly turns from the creature to the Creator. And in verse 9, of course, he begins to reason with God. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? If I die and if I go down to the pit, can I praise you there? Death cannot praise you. It is the living that gives thanks to you. So, we need to consider self-confidence versus confidence of God. Is this, this is a failure that is common with us, and especially in America. The land of the wealthy, even the poorest person in this country, is fairly wealthy compared to the rest of the world, compared to many parts of the world all of our technological advances and all these types of things. We just sent, I think, seven men on a space shuttle into outer space. Who would have thought of such things even 50 years ago? And so we can easily be lulled into a false security. Have you ever struggled with that? Have you ever struggled with pride? Pride in a, in a, in a security, a false security? How about as a church we can fall into that? We can tend to rely on our human effort rather than relying on God for these things. We can tend to think that we have all the doctrine all figured out and become unteachable. that ought not to be. How about as a nation? the United States of America, 9-11. That was quite a wake-up call. There was a huge sense of false security in America, wasn't there? And then 9-11 happened, and then we were awakened for a short time, but I'm afraid that we've been lulled and lulled and we're lulled yet again. Well, moving on. So, is your supreme desire to praise God? Has your prosperity led you to a false insecurity? And finally, have you been clothed with gladness and joy as the promise? Let's look at the text. Here, verse 10, O O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning And to dancing, and have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness, that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So, this gladness and joy takes the place of sackcloth. Sackcloth is a picture of what? What is it? Mourning, right? Mourning over what, though? Sin, yeah, it's a picture of repentance. And so this gladness and joy has taken the place of this brokenness. And David can't be quiet. He goes to God for help. He pleads for God's grace. In verse 9, Hear, O Lord, be gracious to me. He calls him his helper again. And, and, And God has been a helper to David again and again and again, right? With Goliath, right? Way back when he was a boy. God guided that stone from the sling to hit the giant right at the right spot to kill him. How about with Saul? God was his helper with Absalom and several other circumstances. And how quick the answer comes from God in this particular psalm. So the false security, the presumption is gone here. And then this wonderful picture of mourning and, and repenting of sin, the picture of sackcloth, I think, is the idea. And, and we don't know if David was actually in sackcloth here. We know that he had, was in it before, First Chronicles 21. But it doesn't matter. The idea here is that he, God has loosed the sackcloth and now girded him with gladness and joy. And that's a good place to be. A complete turnaround, wailing into dancing a sackcloth, and then being clothed with this wonderful gladness. This is better than being clothed with silk. It's better than being clothed in gold. If you could somehow be clothed in gold, you're being clothed with the gladness and joy. Uh, Jeremiah 31, I will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them and give them joy for their sorrow. I heard a story of a man in the Netherlands during the fierce governorship of Alva. There was one prisoner by the name of John Herwin, and while in prison, he would sing psalms and sing psalms again and again. And the other prisoners would come to the gate of his cell to hear him sing songs. Well, the day of his execution had come, and he was being led um, out, and he was singing Psalm 30. And his strong faith allowed him to look the other side of death as he was singing, actually verses 11 and 12. You have turned my mourning into dancing and has loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. May God give us such grace. May God give us such grace to loosen our tongues, to praise him as we ought, when we ought, rather than having our tongues all tongue-tied and all too often we keep... That praise, it should go up to God to ourselves. Well, in conclusion, what can we learn from David? What can we learn from this psalm? How can we apply this uh, to us? Are you giving praise to God as you should? Does your tongue need to be loosed? Are you too grumbly? Are you too things just don't go your way all that often and you're not praising God for who He is? Will it take a severe affliction? An intense trial to cause you to praise Him for His goodness, to praise Him for His holy name, to consider His attributes. All too often in everyday Christian life we remain silent and we don't give the praise and adoration that is due to God. You see, you must fill your heart and your mind with Christ. You must remember again and again what we're about to do in a short time of remembering the bread and the cup, remembering what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf, and you will be praising Him. Jesus said, Out of the heart the mouth speaks. What comes out of your mouth? What is it that's come out of your mouth this day, this last week? What have your children heard you say out of your own mouth? Oh, that we could say with Wesley... Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. Not only that our one tongue would be loosened that we might praise, but Lord, give me a thousand tongues that I might sing, my Redeemer's praise. When your heart is overflowing with praise, it is also contagious. It's contagious even to the lost. Even as this man, John Harron, in the Netherlands, others were looking on they were amazed at this. John Huss, when he was martyred, think of the impact Is this man's sung? Is the flames are being ignited at his feet and he's singing praises to God and a whole host of others could be referred to. Well, if you are not speaking and singing God's praise, praises as you ought, then perhaps your heart is not filled with God. Perhaps your, your heart and your mind are not filled with the things of God and of Christ. And you need to ask yourself some questions. Have you allowed the world to fill your heart? Have you allowed other things from this world to crowd in? They're worthless things. They have no lasting joy. Why would anyone settle for what the world has to offer? It's so substandard to what God has to offer. And particularly as we ask and we pray that the Lord would give us the eyes of eternity, that we can see that this life is but a vapor, that we can see that our time here is so short that we're on a pilgrimage to the celestial city. That's where we'll spend forever. This life is but a, a moment, a vapor. We need to fill our hearts and minds with Christ. Samuel Rutherford could write from a cold prison cell in Scotland, I love Christ's glooms better than the world's worm-eaten joys. My loss is gain. My sadness, joyful. My bonds, liberty. My tears, comfortable. What, what, a re- what, what a relationship with Christ this man had. He could see beyond this life. And he could see and love Christ Even the the glooms were so much better than the world's worm eaten joys. May the Lord give us that conviction. Don't become presumptuous. He's blessed so many of you here in so many ways. We are a prosperous people. Southern California, you know, most of us live. And the Lord has blessed us so abundantly. The Lord has saved us. He's given us a good church and all these things. Woe to us if we, if we ever begin to put confidence in these things rather than in God. Woe to us if we become puffed up and proud and become self-reliant thinking that we have it all figured out. Examine what your desires are. What are your desires in this life? What is your supreme passion Is it like the Apostle Paul where he says, For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. How that ought to be your cry. Jonathan Edwards could say this in Religious Affections. Desires come from your will and your affections. They show what the frame of your soul is more than anything in this world. What are your desires? Examine them. Ponder what's the passion of your life. Do you long for God? Do you long to commune with Him? You know, email, the television, the phone calls, cell phones, beepers, all these things distract from communion with God and how we should long for more communion with God. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brook. so my soul pants for Thee, O God. Can you say that today? Can you say that honestly And of course, if you're here uh, tonight and you're not a Christian, you're not trusting in Christ, you know nothing of these things. It would be our prayer and our um, hope that you would trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And you children, that you would see that there's something that you're missing. There's something that your parents have that you're missing. And that you would believe and trust in Christ for yourself. Your parents can't believe for you. You must believe in Him. Let's pray. Father God, we do bow before you, thanking you, Lord, for this time that we could have together. Lord, we thank you uh, that we could look into this psalm and that we could apply some really basic and simple truths, Lord, to our own lives. How I pray, O God, that you would loosen our tongues, that we might give you the praise and adoration that is due your holy name. Lord, that you might enable us to glorify you in all that we do. And Lord, keep us free from pride, from presumption, from self-confidence and reliance. These things that are most certainly displeasing to you. And Lord, keep us humble and dependent upon you. in all that we do as individuals, as families, as churches, in our various ministries, and we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name.